Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, author of Who Do Justice Magic, Binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. Monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And I highly recommend her if you're looking to make any changes or major decisions in your life. It definitely helps to know what energies are surrounding that decision. So check her out at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Rob Gutro, and he is a paranormal investigator and has several books out. He is also a medium. So I'm really looking forward to this interview. Thank you for coming on today, Rob. Thanks for having me, Gary. It's nice to be here. Um... Do you hear something? Anyway, <laughs> that's weird. Uh, so what got you into paranormal investigating? Uh, well, I, I was um, inspired because of my ability. Um, when, I was a, uh, when I was a teenager, I had an encounter with the spirit of my grandfather who appeared to me seven months after he died hmm. and uh of course that shocked me at that age mm-hmm. but um my mother had the ability and uh, she understood so she helped me realize that it wasn't anything totally weird right <laughs> um but that ability lay dormant for uh, decades until my puppy passed away i had a puppy named buzz who was tragically killed by a car at seven months old when his leash opened and uh, and he he opened the doors for me to uh, start sensing not only messages from him but other uh, other people um, people mm-hmm. and pets. So I wanted uh, an outlet to relate to people about this, and I I looked into a paranormal investigation team near me, and I was able to join them. Hmm. So in between the period from when you were a child and, and you know, I had the incident with your grandfather up to until the puppy. Did you just deny that this ability existed, kind of turned it off just to fit in as a normal person? Or did it just sort of go in the background somewhere as you matured? Yeah, it, it kind of went in the background because I got very preoccupied with life. I was trying to uh, find employment. I, I was going to school uh, um so I want I want to go to school um, for three different degrees, one after the other, and during all that time I was you know too busy uh, with with things, too preoccupied, and I really wasn't listening to what was happening uh, from the other side um, until the last when I went to, to college for my my last degree, um, I wound up living in a house that was haunted, and I kind of had to figure that out, and that was uh, that was another wake up call. Hmm. All right. Where was, where was this haunted house, and what was that like, and what did you encounter there? So um, I went to school in Bowling Green, Kentucky, for my meteorology uh, mm-hmm. degree, and I wound up renting a room in this two-bedroom house, um, and the other, the other guy that was there 
um, his parents had bought him the house uh, as a student so that he could live off campus. Mm-hmm. And what, what was interesting is that I, I never understood or I never knew the, the story behind why his previous roommate moved out because his previous roommate did not graduate until I started living in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved in first for the semester and mm-hmm. uh, my, my roommate was going to move in like two weeks later. And a Tuesday, on a Tuesday night <clears throat> at 2.30 in the morning, I heard pounding on the back door. And, you know, you're in a college town. You, you think, hey, it's probably a drunk college kid. Well, there was nobody there. And the, the house had motion lights in the back. So I was puzzled about what it could have been. But, it, you know, it scares you first thing, 2.30 in the morning, when you up out of a sound sleep. So uh, after investigating, looking outside, there was nothing there. I went back to bed. Next next week, same thing. Tuesday morning, two thirty in the morning, pounding at the back kitchen door, and the motion light didn't go on. Mm-hmm. So I, I started to suspect there was something more than the physical that was there. Um, uh, long story short, the the roommate moved in the next week. Same thing happened on the first Tuesday, 2.30 in the morning. He bumped into me in the hallway at 2.30 in the morning, and I looked at him and I said, what is going on? <laughs> and, and he was scared, uh, and I was pretty nervous. And we, we walked into the, the kitchen where, where the back door is, turned on the light, pounding stopped. And I said, okay, uh, is there a ghost? <laughs> is there a ghost outside? <laughs> And he said, well, that's the reason my roommate moved the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- there were a few more things in the house that really confirmed it. Um, and I wrote about that in my uh, in my book, Ghosts, Ghosts and Spirits Explained. Um, so it was a, that was my first real wake-up call to human spirits, uh, human ghosts, rather. Um, and, and I have come to determine that there's a difference between an earthbound ghost and a spirit that's crossed over. What's the difference? How do you tell? So I know the words have been used interchangeably in the paranormal field, but I really think that there is uh, there is a difference and there are similarities. Um, earthbound ghosts are... So what happens after we die is that we have physical energies in our bodies. Those physical energies have to go somewhere because we have a law of conservation of energy that says energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transformed. So what I've learned as a medium is that the energies couple with memories, personality, and knowledge of this life. And we choose to stay in a fixed location on earth as a ghost, or we cross over and join the other side or heaven or Valhalla or whatever you want to call the other side, go into the light, and I call that a spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, the, aside from location, <clears throat> there are differences. Ghosts can only communicate to people in the fixed location that they choose. Spirits, like your loved ones, like your grandmother, for instance, or your grandmothers and pa- grandfathers, they can communicate with you anywhere, anytime on earth, any place. Doesn't matter where you go. But ghosts don't have that ability because they're stuck at the place they chose. Hmm. Interesting. 
How about like um, spirits that have never taken a physical incarnation, like angels, demons, jinn? Um, so I, I'm, I don't work with them. Um, I know that there are beings that haven't taken a physical uh, physical form, um, and I, I really just refer to them as, as spirits. So there, there are different levels of spirit. So what do you, what is all this phenomenon anyway? Do you think that um, these spirits are just or humans are just a consciousness in a physical form or being put through the illusion of being in a physical form? Or do you think and do you think that we exist prior to you know our incarnation as human beings? And then we continue to exist afterwards, or do we just start existing on the day that we're conceived? Um, uh, well, we do go through a reincarnation process. So um, I don't know how it all began, but I do know that energy recycles, if you will, um, and everybody comes back. So, and that includes people who lost pets too. So, pets, every living thing <clears throat> comes back. Um, that's what a soul is, memories, personality, and knowledge. And that's why some people have past life experiences, mm -hmm. and myself included. And, and I've been able to actually prove, <clears throat> prove that past life. Um, so for the most part, um, we continue to recycle, if you will. And we are always connected to those we love in this life. So, so what was your past life, and how did you prove that it was your past life? Well, it was kind of a crazy, <laughs> kind of a crazy thing. Um, in my latest book, uh, "Ghosts on the Medium's Vacation," Go "Ghosts of the Birdcage Theater," on I've heard of it, yeah. Um, that in that includes a story of my past life experience. Um, are you familiar with the Birdcage Theater? Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen it on Ghost Hunters and uh, a few other shows as well. Okay. Um, so for your for your listeners, it, it's in Tombstone, Arizona. It's an old theater that was built in 1881, around the time of uh, the time of the silver strikes in Tombstone, the old western town known for the shootout at the OK Corral. Um, but Tombstone was only really open for eight years, 1881 to 1889, before the the mines flooded and so forth. Um, I was drawn to Tombstone when I actually saw the movie of the same name with mm. Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. Do you, did you see that movie? I didn't see it yet, no. Okay, well, you have to put it on your list because it's, <laughs> it's really an outstanding film. Um, but there was something eerily familiar to me about that, and I didn't know why. Um, so I made it a point next year to go out to Tombstone to visit, and I, I, I decided to do it a fun way. I convinced a friend of mine to go with me, and we dressed up as Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, two guys from Maryland out in <laughs> the Old West dressed up as Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Um, but it's a, it was a fun thing to do. And um, as a matter of fact, the, the, the gentleman that manages the Birdcage Theater today, his family owns it, um, he said, I've got to be friends with you guys I can't believe the two two Yankees would dress up as Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and come out here. So, and I've stayed in touch with him ever since. That was a, a long, long time ago. 
Um, anyway, the, the, the past life experience happened pretty much immediately when I came into town. We parked the car at the end of one, one end of town. We started walking through. We were no more than three or four minutes in, and somebody stopped me and asked me for directions to the courthouse. Mm -hmm. Now, back in 1994, cell phones weren't a thing. Um, computers were just kind of getting off the ground. You know, they were just the, the words, typing in the words. So you couldn't bring up a web page or anything. Uh, there was no way to get a map of, of Tombstone unless you had somebody mail you one from the town of Tombstone. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, you know, it was a different world then. Um, but the person asked me for directions to this courthouse. Now, we just got there. We didn't, we never had a map. We only had a map that showed the tiny little town of Tombstone, 40 miles um, north of the Mexican border as a little dot. But I told that person without even thinking twice that they had to go two blocks down, take a left, go one block to the right, and then take uh, take another uh, a left. And, and the courthouse would be on your left. And my, my friend looked at me and he said, what in the world did you just tell that person? He said, we, we don't have a map. We, we've never been here. How do you know that? I didn't know. So we followed my directions, and sure enough, that's exactly where the courthouse was. Interesting. So I knew that I had to have lived then. So have you done a past life regression uh, hypnosis, and what did you learn from it if you did? I did. Um, it was um, What I learned is that uh, I was likely a miner, someone who worked in one of the silver mines, um, and I remember seeing that I had uh, like overalls, and, and I lived in a kind of a very ramshackle wooden structure, um, very tiny. And I had a hound dog, which explains my love of dogs mm -hmm. today. So, um, yeah, it was fascinating. Hmm. And um, so, so the verification was the fact that you were able to give the directions? Yes. Y yeah, because Tombstone... Uh, remains exactly as it was in the 1880s. Tombstone is one of the towns that is exactly preserved as it was. So back in 1889, all the silver mines flooded. And basically the town was abandoned with the exception of about maybe 100 people. Um, so over the years, that town never changed. It was, it, it, it's, they call it the town that wouldn't die. Um, but in 1934, one of the deputies that was around at the time of Wyatt Earp um, wrote, uh, it was uh, William Breckenridge. He wrote a book about the Wyatt Earp Dog Holiday OK Corral shootout, even though it's kind of slanted toward the bad guys, mm -hmm. <laughs> the cowboys. Um, and that reawakened interest in the town. So in 1934, people started coming back to the town and they realized that the town had been sitting there for like 50 years and they wanted to preserve it. Um, and now today it's an historic town that looks very much like it did back in the 1880s. Hmm. So when you were there, what happened at the birdcage? Oh gosh. Um, 
When I first went there in 1994, nothing happened because my abilities were dormant. Um, the only thing was is that I wound up taking the photograph that then had a picture of the face of one of the ghosts that haunt the Birdcage Theater. And, and I found that out when I got home and um, I developed the film and I mailed a copy to the manager and he called me on the phone. <clears throat> you know, again, we didn't have email. <laughs> so, <laughs> different life, yeah. different time. Um, yeah, and I had to physically mail him a copy of the picture. Um, and I, I mailed him a bunch of pictures that I took in the Birdcage Theater. And, and that was the one he picked out. And he said, this is the face. Look at this. This is the face of the guy that I see crossing the stage almost every night when I close up. Hmm. Um, so that's that photograph is also in my book, The Ghost of the Birdcage Theater. Um, but when I went back in 2019, I took a friend who had never had a paranormal experience, didn't know what to think of ghosts. Mm-hmm. We ran into eleven ghosts. Eleven and eleven, the one and there were more. <laughs> wow, yeah, that was some vacation. Um, so the eleven ghosts that I ran into, mm-hmm. every single one of them was documented by the people that worked there, and they were able to confirm that others had had those experiences, or that those people actually lived at that time and and visited the birdcage or died in the birdcage uh, there were 26 deaths in the birdcage theater that's a lot of death for such a ta- for a town that was only around for a little while i know in one location like that's crazy yeah it, it's kind of a place you'd want to avoid in the 1883 <laughs> <laughs> hmm so <clears throat> I was reading the description. It says that one of the spirits at the birdcage you became, um, f- you know, friends with and know- more knowledgeable about. Yeah, there. Well, um, I became acquainted, more acquainted with mm-hmm. them. Um, there were there were several of them that I I got to know pretty well. Um, one of them was pretty horrific, actually. So, as a medium. I can uh, I can sense ghosts and I can feel them. Uh, they often share their pain of death mm-hmm. <clears throat> with me, uh, which is not a happy thing <laughs> for me because um, I, I've I've been hit, punched, kicked, stabbed, shot. Um, I felt the sword go through me in in England when I visited, um, and I feel all kinds of things like heart attacks and cancer, et cetera, et cetera. And I have to tell them stop. In one particular instance, uh, when I walked into the theater area, there was a gentleman who was shot in the throat. And I felt a bullet go through my throat as soon as I walked in. And I couldn't talk for about three minutes. Um, It was pretty horrific, uh, as you can imagine. Um, And the uh, tour guide, I was on the ghost tour with my friend, and the tour guide ran over to me. And and she said, are you okay? And And I couldn't speak to her. And um, finally, after three minutes, I was able to say, I, I'm a medium, and there was a man who was shot here in the throat. Um, I, and she confirmed that there was a man who died and shot there, right there on that spot, in the throat, and he died. Hmm. Uh, and he told me his name. Um, he told me that he was shot because he was cheating at cards. Um, so the birdcage had four major functions in, in the 1880s. It was not only a theater, a live theater, but 
it was a gambling den uh-huh. in the basement. There was a uh, the world's longest poker game that went on for eight years continuously. Um, it was a house of prostitution. Um, they called the ladies soiled doves. That's what they were known as. Um, and it was also uh, a bar. So there are four major parts of that that establishment. And it's one of the only buildings that still survive uh, intact from the 1880s because there were two major fires in the town in 1881, 1882. And everything else was rebuilt. Um, so plus all the dead people that were, you know, all the people that were killed. <laughs> There's a lot of dead people hanging out there. So did you come across any spears that you had known in your past life from Tombstone? No, that's a good question. I, I, I did not meet anyone that I recognized uh, from my past life. Um, most of the people that, the, the ghosts that were in uh, the Birdcage Theater were either <clears throat> um, gamblers, um, uh, cowboys, uh, drunks, minors, or ladies of the evening. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that there are spirits in Tombstone that you had lived with in your past life? Um, that's a good question. I'm, uh, there very well could be someone there, um, but I, I was only there. I was there that one night in 2019, but I did go back this past May, and I did a book signing event for about four days. Um, but I really stuck to the birdcage because that's, I, that's what I was there for. Hmm. And when I went back to the birdcage, um, during this, this book signing event, I met <laughs> that guy, that the guy that got shot in the throat did it again to me. His name is Jerome. <clears throat> um, he shared his pain of death again, et cetera. Uh, uh, and I had to keep telling him to stop. Um, and I met one of the soil doves that I hadn't met before. Um, uh, and, and by the way, one thing that's interesting about paranormal investigations is that if you, uh, depending on your attitude toward paranormal investigations when you go in, sometimes ghosts will talk to you and sometimes they won't, just like people. So I took the ghost tour that night when I came back in May 2022. And some of the people in the crowd were just, not very receptive to ghosts and they were um they were not respectful of them so the ghosts really didn't come out they didn't want to talk to these people because they thought that uh, these people were being disrespectful and there was very very limited paranormal activity which is totally unusual for the birdcage so to people who go on ghost tours you really need to be respectful uh -huh. of the dead um one side note is that i during the day, during one of the days that I was there, I decided to go in and do some short video clips of parts of the birdcage where I encountered different ghosts. And um, as soon as I came in, Jerome, the guy that got shot in the throat, approached me and I said, I asked him, I said, Jerome, could you please let me uh, just walk through the birdcage and um, let me do this and, and, you know, just just let me be. Well, he didn't like that because every every single video I did, and he followed me around, every single video I did inside had a high squealing pitch 
and you couldn't hear me. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I get out, everything was fine. Mm. So um, I guess I, I, I guess that didn't sit well with him when I just asked him to leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. You mentioned, um, you know, I've done some paranormal investigation. Also, I belong to a group or did, and um, and I always found it important too to be respectful to to go in <laughs> there sort of just be quiet, almost like meditate and say, you know, if anything's here, you know, and you want to talk, like, like give me a sign or, or, or whatever. Um, but there are paranormal investigators out there. There's one on particular on TV who's very popular who loves to go in and be disrespectful to get activity to happen for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. What do you think of that approach? I think it's awful. Really, um, I, I totally disagree with it. I always tell people to think of a ghost as an invisible roommate. And um, if you can't say something to the face of someone um, without expecting repercussions, then you shouldn't say it to a dead person, a go an earthbound ghost, um, because um, they're they don't want they're not going to want to deal with you either. Or they're just going to try and make things a little difficult for you. Mm -hmm. so, do do yeah. you think that doing that could, um, like antagonizing them, cause harm to whoever's investigating using that type of technique? Yeah, I think it's detrimental to any paranormal investigation, number one. And, and number two, it, um, you're, uh, you're just making the ghost angry. Yeah, yeah, you're um, agitating. Like if that ghost stays agitated for the next group of people or whatever, you're making it bad for other people, also, right? Yeah, totally agree. Yep. Hmm. So, what other places have you investigated that you've really found that 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 jump out at you that that kind of left you know something with you that changed you a little bit? Um. Well, I, I did visit England, um, and there were a lot of places there that really jump out at me. Um, so England is one of the topics of my other books. It's called Ghosts of England on a Medium's Vacation. Um, and, and during my vacation in England, uh, everywhere I went was haunted. And there were people that were left behind or choose to, chose to stay behind, I should say, um, for various reasons. Uh, and some of them were horrific, um, and they were just looking for uh, forgiveness or justice, depending. Um, one of the places that, that actually really stands out to me is a place called Heber Castle. Um, are you familiar with the Tudor period and Henry VIII? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I've seen the Tudors, the show, yeah. Okay. So are you familiar with, you're familiar with Anne Boleyn, who was queen? Mm-hmm. And so, so he had a, she had a brother named George. And uh, both Anne and George uh, were executed by Henry VIII. Um, Henry VIII got tired of Anne Boleyn and uh, decided to behead her. Um, and he falsely accused her of having intimacies with her brother, George, um, so he could get rid of George as well. So uh, George was wrongly executed as well. Um, and when we went to Heaver Castle, I, I had never, I, I didn't see the Tudors. Um, my other half did. 
and that's why he became interested in that and mm-hmm. that's why why we took the the trip to england the trip was all planned out by him and the um the um across the pond vacations that that we used to travel yeah um so i knew nothing i was just like okay i'm gonna go for the ride <laughs> it's gonna be really cool i didn't understand how cool it was gonna be when we got to heber castle uh, as soon as we walked in the door, I heard a man standing behind me, and 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 I felt a man standing behind me. You know how you like you feel you're being watched. Yes. Well, he he said to me, "Hello, my name is George." And I looked behind me, and there was no, of course, nobody behind me. And I said, "Okay, who's George?" Um, so I I turned to. Uh, I turned to Tom, my husband, and I said, um, do you know anybody that would be named George in here? And he said, yeah, of course. This is the Boleyn family castle. That would be George Boleyn, Anne's brother. So uh, um, what was very fascinating about my visit to Heber Castle was that George accompanied us to each room. And he told me different things that happened in each room. Yeah, the spirit tour guide. Yeah, he told me where Anne's bedroom was. Um, He told me about something that happened to him as a child in a particular room. He told me about his um, the year that he was most proud of his sister. And I wrote all these things down, of course, because I keep the diary when I travel. And I had when I came back home to the U.S., I looked all these things up, and oh my gosh, every single one of them panned out. So, yeah, I had a ghostly tour guide. Wow. And everything <laughs> fantastic. I mean, that's incredible. That's fascinating that these spirits are still out there sharing their stories with the living. Like, for example, with George, like, the, was, is he, I mean, it sounds like he was very cordial. I mean, I would have been just an angry ghost if I had been beheaded wrongly. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was surprisingly cordial. But he he did tell me that uh, one of the messages he did tell me that was that he was he was wrongly murdered, and he wants the world to know that. Mm-hmm. So I I shared that in the in my encounter with him. Um, so that's the reason why he is still hanging around. He wants to people to know that he was not uh, he he was innocent of everything that he was accused of. And he didn't want to cross over, by the way. Why he did said he, he want to cross done. over? He uh, does he want to? Is the reason he's staying? He's trying to get his story out there. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I promised him that I would, I would help him uh, get his story out there. So now that his story is out there through you, does that give him the opportunity to maybe go back to the other side and do whatever happens over there, and possibly? return incarnated again um if he decided to to cross over uh, he he indicated to me though that he wasn't it wasn't enough yet he wasn't done informing people that he was uh he was innocent so he wanted to stay because i asked him i said i can you know help you cross over but he didn't want to um and a lot of times uh, I've found that ghosts are often afraid to cross over. Not him, though, but <clears throat> other people who decide to stay earthbound as ghosts are afraid to cross over because they fear what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who are very conservative or very um, um, devout to their religion, 
tend to be those people who stay behind as earthbound ghosts because, you know, we're taught that it, there's hell on the other side and it's, it's torture and so <laughs> forth and, and so on. And every spirit that I have talked to, no matter how much wrong they did in their life, they said that there's nothing but peace and love acceptance and, and it's just a peaceful thing on the other side mm-hmm. so those images of hell were of course created by man um and uh, and they they've made people stay earthbound as ghosts i mean yeah granted there are things as you mentioned in the beginning that there are that are non-earthly mm-hmm. if you will um that we look at upon as as what religious people would call demons um I don't define non-human things as demons. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist in my day job, so I know that we have discovered over 5,000 exoplanets. Those are planets outside our solar system. And, and obviously some of them harbor life. Yes. And there are, I think there are 9,000 others that are not yet cataloged or con- confirmed. So, you know, it would be foolish to think that we're the only life forms. And, um, and that lends itself to what happens to those life forms when they die. They also become spirits. They also travel anywhere they want. They can come here. Um, and they don't know what we are. You know, we, we, probably look, we probably look totally repulsive to them or horrific to them, depending on what they are. Um, and they could react in a, uh, um, in a defensive manner. So, so from, from a scientific point of view, what do you what is your take on paranormal phenomena? I think it really can all be explained by uh, by the science of energy, and that's how I really explain it in my books. Um, and uh, I, I think that that the paranormal, once it becomes widely accepted that it, it's based on energy. Um, then it will not be paranormal anymore. It will just be normal. It will be a, a normal understanding of what happens after we pass. With your psychic abilities, the mediumship abilities, do you think that that is something, a gift that only certain people have, or do you think it is a trait that all human beings have that we have turned off for probably because of we were told by religions that it was evil? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that everybody has a degree of abilities, mm-hmm. um, some more than others. Um, I know that my ability was inherited by my mother's side of the family, <clears throat> as, as it does run in some families. But um, at, even those that think they don't have the ability, uh, I, I want you to think of it this way. If you, if you walk into a room of, of people, a room full of people, uh, there are always going to be a couple of people that you are drawn to that you maybe even just say hello to, or, um, you know, you, you give a glance and a nod at and so forth. And there are other people that you will kind of avoid. Has that happened to you? Oh, all the time. Everywhere I go. Absolutely. There's, okay. I'm so pretty good at reading a room. Yeah. You're, so you're reading their energy. You're reading their, the living people's energy and, and that's what mediums do. But we read the energy of people or pets who passed. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the same principle. Mm-hmm. We're reading the emotional energy in the room. Um, 
So people can develop that energy. They just that, that ability rather. They just need to trust what they get. Um, and and for me, that was a uh, that was a process <laughs> when I first started getting these messages. Um, and if you don't believe what you're hearing, think of it this way: if there's something that comes into your head that you would never think of, mm-hmm. it's probably from somebody else. <laughs> um, That's what I wonder sometimes. Like, is our mind a hard drive that's been described by some neuroscientist or is it a receiver i think it's both really yeah i think it's a combination of both um and i i do find that people who are more emotional um tend to be better receivers of messages um because people who close themselves off from emotions um they, uh, they, they're blocking messages. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it turns out to be. Um, so I, I often get messages when I'm in the shower. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, that's when I am most intuitive also, is when I'm in the Is water. that right? Absolutely. This whole podcast came from an idea that I had while taking a shower. Fantastic. So, so somebody in spirit was influencing you through the energy of water to do something to be able to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, all the time. I, I, I always joke that there there are more elderly women in my shower than anybody else. <laughs> you know, they're all in spirit, and they all come in, and uh-huh. they're like, oh, you have to tell my grandson this. Or like, I, almost, I almost think like maybe like the water, it sounds crazy, but it's, it's almost like an antenna. Somehow. It is. So, so one thing that I have observed is going to towns that are very, very haunted is that they almost always have a river or a stream or a lake that runs through them or near them. It's interesting, too, because, you know, water in the occult represents emotion, intuitive type of... It can't be a coincidence. I, I, I think sometimes the ancient cultures new and we're more in touch with some of the things that feel like we're just starting to figure out now. You, you know, Gary, I totally agree with that. Um, I, you know, I, I visited Pompeii and I realized oh, wow. how far advanced that civilization was. And we lost all that knowledge for a thousand years plus. And then we had to try and put it all back together again. Um, but there, there are, are parts of the world, there are different cultures that have actually uh, a better understanding of how things work. And, and again, we've forgotten a whole bunch of them. So totally agree. Hmm. Have you ever connected with any spirits that have roots in ancient civilizations that we've forgotten about, such as Atlantis or Lemuria? No, I, I have not. Um, I I, although I, I was out in uh, I was out in Greece a year ago in September, um, but I didn't run into anybody that was from any of those places. Hmm. Yeah, that would be fascinating. And one of the other things that you've mentioned too is like the exoplanets and life being in outer space. You know, mm-hmm. one of the common things now that is, is pretty popular is this CE five technique where people will go and meditate outdoors and try to connect their consciousness with that of extraterrestrials with the understanding that extraterrestrials know how to use their consciousness better than we do 
mm-hmm. we can kind of meet them in a certain way through that. What is your opinion on that? Um, I think that you can absolutely connect with people um, and and even other beings. Um, we've proven that here on Earth that um, we'll get uh, we'll get feelings that um, someone's going to call us and and they call us. Mm-hmm. So it, we're tapping into their living energy. Um, so I, I think if you can do that here on Earth with with humans, we you can do that anywhere. Hmm. Interesting. It's all about energy to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reason I asked that question is because of, um, you know, Dolores Cannon's book, Convoluted Universe, and she does these past life regressions, and it taps into, like, this whole world of extraterrestrials and past lives, and it's really fascinating. Um, so wow. it, it's one of, those more, one of those topics that I find really, really interesting. Um, when you're doing mediumship, do you ever come across like spirits that you don't want to communicate with? And do you have to somehow protect yourself against them? Yeah. Gosh, good question. Um, so on the paranormal investigation team that I belong to inspired ghost tracking of Maryland. Um, usually when we go into a haunted place or a place that we suspect is haunted, we will always try to protect ourselves like with an, an aura of a positive energy. We'll always uh, join hands and and create that um, that protection. Um, we also offer a prayer of protection um, when we come out of a place that we that we have encountered uh, a haunting. We will always go to a tree and we will hold the tree or or touch the tree and ground ourselves mm-hmm. and get rid of that negative energy. And then usually we um, we recommend taking a shower because water energy purifies. And and uh, we also eat chocolate because chocolate raises the endorphins in your, you know, <laughs> and makes you feel good. Yeah. So when you feel good from the inside, you're able to purge the negativity from the outside. So, hmm. um, but I have run into a couple of uh, challenging ghosts. Hmm. <laughs> so one of your books is about, you know, the, your, your communication with, with pets. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they communicate? Like, like, do their spirits are they just are their spirits the same as a human spirit? Do they communicate in the same way through language, or do they use symbols? How does that work? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's very interesting. They do uh, they do very much work the same way as humans. So, so I actually have three books in my Pets in the Afterlife series, and uh, I'm about to publish the fourth one in January 2023 about how cats have given me messages. Cats. Um, yeah. My last one was about dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my first two were about dogs, cats, horses, birds. Any domesticated animal has the ability to communicate with uh, not only mediums, but anybody. Right. Um, you just have to be aware of the signs. And that's what those books teach people. Um, so what they do is they um, in in the books. I, I, science, of course, is very important to me. So I explain all the different levels in which pets learn. Um, uh, I use Dr. Stanley Corrin as a reference because he wrote a couple of books called How Dogs Think and the Intelligence of Dogs. And, and that can be applied to any domesticated animal, really. So they, they learn on multiple levels. They learn instinctual learning. They learn language. Um, they learn behavior. They learn uh, routine. 
they learn how to play well with others. Um, and there are other levels in which they learn. And they, they also learn our habits and our emotions. So in learning all of those different ways, they can communicate with us. Dr. Corrin says that his evaluation is that uh, dogs, for instance, he uses dogs because he has dogs, has the have the intelligence of a three to five year old child, human child. Um, I, you know, I've read bo that uh, border collies can me memorize up to one thousand words. I had a border collie. You did? Okay, so smart, smartest, probably, most defiant dog ever. <laughs> <laughs> most defiant. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and and recently, science over the last ten years has found out that they can dogs can actually see yellow and blue, and all the other colors appear as shades of gray. Um, and I noticed that with my own living dogs, because the toys that they go for the one the most are the yellow ones. Hmm. It, it's fascinating. They can tell the difference. Mine goes for the blue ones. It really okay. And he has he has red ones and black ones and stuff like that that he doesn't touch. So there you go. Yeah, That's, yeah. Because right now I have an an, an American bully, and mm -hmm. he's about a year and a half old now, and um, he's also very smart. Like he he'll he'll push the door doors open and close. He'll just sit there and keep doing it. It's like hmm, I do this <laughs> this happened. I do this. I bought garbage cans that you step on to open just so he wouldn't go in the garbage. He's figured them out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, we have, um, we have three little dogs. We have a dachshund, and we have two dachshund mixes. And one of the dachshund mixes who's mixed with a chihuahua is the greatest escape artist in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he can figure anything out. <laughs> So what have you so, learned from animals? Like, like, do they actually care about us? Do they love us? Or is it they just want to be fed and have a warm place to sleep? Oh, they, it's really all about love for them. Yeah? Um, yeah. The, their biggest lesson for us is how to love unconditionally. And humans don't know how to do that. No, we don't. Yeah, I don't. Not at all. Yeah. No, I, I, I can say that. I, yeah. I, I don't either. Um, but that's the lesson that they're here to teach us. And, um, and and they show that from the other side. So so ways that they communicate from the other side are similar to humans. They you know, they can they can make um, they can make noises. Um, often um, you may hear their nails on the floor at night, um, usually in the kitchen, because that's where the food is. And they still do what they do in spirit that they did in life. Um, I, I get uh, messages from cats all the time that say that they will either rub up against someone's leg or they're playing with their hair if they're laying down on the pillow. I just did a reading for someone and, and the woman confirmed that my cat does that all the time and I felt my cat who passed away continue to mess, mess my hair when I'm sleeping. Hmm. Um, you may hear barks or meows or, or uh, in one case, uh, um, um, a man told me that his favorite horse had passed away. He was in the stall with the other horses and he heard his favorite horse whinny from the outside and his horse had passed away. And he, went, he said, I even dropped what I was doing and I went out to check 
<laughs> of course, there's nothing yet. <laughs> mm. um, they can uh, they can lead us to another pet that looks like them um, to let us know. Um, in 2009, I was on vacation in Puerto Rico, and um, I I wasn't thinking about what date it was. So uh, so Tom and I were out walking in Old San Juan. Never been there. <clears throat> Came to a street a rotary with five streets and, and we had to figure out where we wanted to go. And I was nudged to go one way. Mm-hmm. I said, well, we need to go that way. And he said, well, what's down there? And I said, I don't know. I've never been here. So <laughs> we got to the end of the street. There was a dog walker. The only one I had seen in Puerto Rico in, in the two days that we had been there since. Um, the dog walker was walking a Weimaraner who looked like Buzz, my first dog who was, had passed. And Right then I heard Buzz in my head say, Dad, do you know what today is? And I remember it was the fourth anniversary of his passing to the day. Mm. So he led me to find that dog walker. That's why we know. Um, so birthdays, anniversaries, and holidays are special times when any pet spirit, pet or person, will come and communicate with us. So and, I can believe that dogs care about humans. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe that a cat does because they just don't seem to give a shit <laughs> about anything, really. They just create chaos. <laughs> Sounds like you had a bad experience with a cat. <laughs> well, I mean, not really, but I, I mean, it just seems to be a cat's nature to be a cat. It, yeah, it does. Well, cat, you know, truly, cats are are much more independent. Um, but I, I have uh, I've encountered quite a number of, of very loving cats. Um, so, uh, you, you know, and, and some cat parents said that say to me that cats you know, get a bad rap because <clears throat> um, many of them are very loving. Um, but they are independent. They are more independent, certainly a lot less dependent than dogs are on us. Um, but they also communicate it. Because the the love that they receive and that they give still connects them to the pet parent. How about non-domesticated animals that are supposedly super intelligent, particularly mammals like dolphins, whales, stuff like that? Have you have you attempted any type of communication with them? No, I haven't. Um, I've not had the opportunity, but. Any domesticated animal that uh, is familiar with our habits and our language and our emotions and so forth has the ability to communicate with a medium or even a person, excuse me, that's not a medium. Um, I cannot communicate with wild animals because they don't associate with humans. They don't, you know, there's nothing that I could understand that they're trying to tell me. but, but Gary, I have to tell you that I have talked to rats, <laughs> like pet rats, uh-huh. and gerbils, um, and ferrets. Um, yeah, a whole ha- range what's of, going on uh, in the rodent community these days? <laughs> um, well, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty simple. Um, they're simple about the way that they see the world. But, um, you know, they, they appreciate being fed. They do have emotions. They, they do uh, emote 
um, just like any living thing does. Um, but I, I draw the line at spiders and snakes. Mm-hmm. So if we catch a mouse, that mouse is suffering. Like mm-hmm. in a mouse trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless it's a humane mouse trap, if you will. Um, so um, yeah, I if you catch a mouse, if you if you can catch a mouse in a, a way to keep the mouse alive and just let it go, that yeah. would be that would be better, much yeah. better. Yeah, I support non-kill traps. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> um, so so no insects. I, well, I personally don't care for insects, <laughs> so, um, um, but they, they are living things and they do have energy. Um, so, um, but they, you know, I can't communicate with them. So no reptiles, like you mentioned snakes, but what about like an iguana or a gecko? I think I did do a reading for a, a, a gecko once. Um but you know, people—they're not very common house pets, so people don't come through with them. Hmm. I imagine all yeah. they care about is staying warm. Yeah, <laughs> especially the ones in Florida when you get a freeze and they fall out of the trees. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Do you think that humans and animals, when we reincarnate, we can go from being human into an animal, back to a human again? I've been asked that question before, but I have never encountered anyone that has um, changed. I, I tend to think that we stay in our own kingdoms, as you will. Animals reincarnate as different animals. People reincarnate as different people. Um, and and the reincarnation thing is, it's like spinning a wheel, I think, when you're on the other side, is that you can come back. <clears throat> if you're a man, you can come back as a woman um, and vice versa. Um if you're a cat, you can come back as a as a raccoon or whatever. Uh, it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so we we are we'll always be bound together. So we'll always run into each other in the next mm-hmm. life, whatever that is. However, we reappear. How about soul groups? Do you believe in that? There's soul groups, groups of people that reincarnate together. I do. Um, what I've found is that we usually reincarnate. Uh, we usually come back whenever everybody that we know in this life has passed. So that could be considered a soul group. Um, and, and our pets are going to be waiting for us. That said, <clears throat> they will be waiting for us on the other side. Um, people always say to me, well, you know, my new, my new dog does the same, a similar thing that my current uh that my old dog did before my old dog passed. And, and that was one of the first readings I did that was not one of my pets. There was a dog that came to me, a little chihuahua, and he told me that he was training this woman's medium-sized black dog, training the dog to be a better dog for his mom. Um, it was in a public medium event. And the and I wrote about this, I think, in my Pets One book. Um, the dog's name is Chico, the little chihuahua. And um, I stopped the woman. He, the, the dog in spirit actually pointed out the woman that I had to talk to, <laughs> which was pretty unusual. So I stopped the woman and I asked her about that. And she said, oh, my gosh, Chico was my grandmother's dog that passed away uh, this year. Um, 
why is he here? And I said, you have a medium-sized black dog because he's training that dog. And she said, oh, my gosh, I have a black lab. And I've noticed over the last couple of weeks better than he's ever behaved. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's what's going on. Um, but so our pets in spirit will come back and they will train our new pets. Is um, it possible to get the same pet twice? In, in the same lifetime, you mean? Mm-hmm. No. Um, that, uh, not as far as I've learned. Um, so our, our pets that passed will come back and they will teach the new dog or new cat to do a habit or two that they had when they were alive. So you may see the pet, uh, the new dog, sleeping in exactly the same place that the old dog did. Or you may see the new dog... Um, um, uh, putting up a paw like the uh, the old dog did, same exact way, um, or just any kind of habit. You know, um, we noticed that our newly adopted nine-year-old rescue has five of the same weird, strange habits that our dog Franklin did when he was alive. Franklin had passed, he was a dachshund. Um, but this dog has five of the same exact habits. He growls at a certain time. Um, he always gets caught up in his leash on purpose. Uh, <laughs> um, he's very stubborn, unlike any of the other dogs. Um, it, so we know that Franklin has been training him. I actually call him Franklin Jr., although his name is Cody. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what happens. Hmm. So, so, so our, our, past, our, our pets can still influence our current pets that's pretty cool yeah that absolutely so does that mean that animals have a better sense of psychic spirits and stuff than humans they do um so one of the things that i've learned scientifically is that dogs and cats have a different physiology than humans they they have a different configuration in their eyes and their ears um that said, they have different cones and rods <coughs> in their eyes, and that enables them to see fast movement. As a paranormal investigator, we use high-speed cameras um, to catch that fast movement of, of ghosts or spirits. Mm-hmm. So dogs and cats can see them head on without any you know, anything. They also hear at different frequencies. If you think of a dog whistle, right? We can't yes. hear it. <clears throat> As a paranormal investigator, I've learned that ghosts or spirits that have crossed over speak at different frequencies that we can't hear. So on investigations, we carry digital recorders that can pick up higher and lower frequencies beyond the range of human hearing. And then when we play them back, we can actually hear answers uh, from a ghost if we ask questions. But dogs and cats can hear them. Hmm. So, um, So scientifically... I've come up with those explanations and dogs can dogs and cats can see anything that is passed in spirit. And, and often they will, they will see their, their fellow dog or cat that preceded them when they visit and they'll be staring at nothing. <laughs> so, so keep so, your eyes open. So have you ever, or, or do you like train your, your dog or whatever to assist you in a paranormal investigation? I've only done that once. 
And the the reason I've only done it once is because um, I don't trust human ghosts mm-hmm. um, because they can, uh, you know, people can be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> right? I can be difficult. <laughs> well, I think we all can at some point. Um, the only time we took our dog on an investigation is when we knew that when the family said that they suspected their dog and spirit was visiting. And, um, and my dog at the time, Dolly was her name. Um, she confirmed that by doing exactly the same movements through the house and, and, and behaviors that their dog did when their dog was alive. Hmm. Um, so including going to the, the room of the, uh, the child that their dog was most attached to. Wow. That was the only room she went in. Did do you well, think it is a good possibility? Like, like, what do you think about the idea of like going out and getting a dog for the sole purpose of training it to, um, investigate paranormal activity? Uh, I think that'd be unfair to the dog, mm-hmm. um, really, because, you know, as we said, you know, people can be jerks <laughs> in life or death. Um, and I would never want to subject uh, a dog to a uh, an abusive person mm-hmm. as a ghost, especially when I wouldn't be able to see the, the person or what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, so I would I would say no. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't know, you know, I, is it, the, the animal thing is fascinating. Do you, do you ever do any animal communication with animals that are living to help, you know, like when people have like a, you know, a, a dog that won't like stop peeing in the house or something like that, or, and you, and you can speak with them. Do you do any of that? Actually, no, that's a, that's a different gift. Um, I, those are known as animal communicators. Mm-hmm. So they, they can uh, figure out why a, a dog or a cat is, ha- is misbehaving um, or uh, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, I can't do that. I can do that with my own dogs. <laughs> you know, I can figure out what's going on with them. But, <clears throat> but no, I can only communicate with dogs and cats and, and uh, other domesticated animals that have passed. Mm. So we all have different gifts. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So people ask me if I'm a medium and a psychic, and and the answer is no, I'm just a medium. Um, More of a medium rare, but I am a medium. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and so I liken, so this is how I explain it. Psychics have the ability to tune into energies of the past, the present, and the future. That would be like someone who uses tarot cards as um, as a tool to tell you about your past, tell you what's going on now, and recommend things to avoid or or look for in the future. They have that ability. That's what a psychic does. Mediums only talk to people and pets who passed. So that's my gift. Fascinating. So um, I want to thank you for coming on today and doing this video. And again, I do apologize for messing up the schedule a couple of times. Um, and we've all got stuff. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> and uh, before we wrap it up, though, where is the best place for my listeners to f- 
get in contact with you and find your books. Thank you. Um, they can find all my books on Amazon. Um, they're in paperback and ebook and just type in G U T R O my last name. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm one of the very few <laughs> with my, a messed up name like that. Um, and you can find me on, uh, uh, you can find my website at robgutro.com or petspirits.com, which is easier to, to, uh, remember. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff too. But the, all those links are on, on my website petspirits.com what's the um, most recent book uh ghost of the birdcage theater on a medium's vacation and you have and, a new uh, one coming out on pets it's your fourth book yeah pets in the afterlife four <laughs> i didn't <laughs> i never thought i would be doing four but um this one is about messages only from cats um the other ones are about other dogs and 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 birds and and horses and so forth and and I'm actually I'm already writing a pets in the afterlife five. How about monkeys? Haven't talked to any monkeys. So if you know any monkeys that passed away, I don't know anybody who's even had a pet monkey. So I don't know. Have you ever considered going working with a zoo? Uh, no, uh, I work with dog rescues, so uh, that's my. You know that's my thing with with living animals. All of our all of our kids are rescues. So um, yeah, I, I, all, way, all my dogs have been too. One thing I wanted to throw out there too for your listeners is that if they work with an animal rescue, I came up with an idea to do a fundraiser for animal rescues. So I will go to your animal rescue wherever you are, mm -hmm. and I will give a, a lecture on how pets communicate from the afterlife. The rescue will charge a small fee for people to come listen, and they take all the money. Oh, I don't ask great. for any. That's yeah, great. I don't. I want. I want these rescues to benefit by this, and I want to bring peace and comfort to people who lost pets. Yeah, I won't have a pet unless it's come from a rescue, or or if I found it on the street or whatever. Like my border collie, I actually found on the street. He was just walking around, and he, he would come up to me on my lunch break every day and want food and. Then my boss called the uh, uh, animal control on his dog to get him away from the factory. And I, and I just threw him in my car and I took him home before the animal control came. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love love animals. Yeah, me too. Awesome. So I, I will put the links to your websites and to your books in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. And it's been a pleasure having you on and you are welcome back anytime. Thank you, Gary. It's been my pleasure to uh, to be your guest, and um, thank you for being such an, an animal advocate. Love you're, animals. You're a great man, and I appreciate that. Thank you. You too. You too. It's important. They have consciousness, and they feel pain like we do, and we should love them and respect them, just like they do with us. A little bit better. They do a better job because they're unconditional, and I agree. <laughs> <laughs> You might be a bit more involved than humans. All right. Well, thank you. And hang on for one second. And then I'm just going to play the outro.
buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, 